This interview was recorded on March 24th, 2020. Hi, I'm Len Epp from LeanPub, and in this episode of the Front Matter Podcast, I'll be interviewing Derek Depker. Based in Los Angeles, Derek is a best-selling author, popular speaker, and consultant who specializes in content marketing and fitness. His very helpful books cover a variety of subjects, from fitness to finding success in your life and career, and how to succeed as a self-published author. His writing has appeared in numerous publications, including Forbes, Entrepreneur, Success, and other well-known magazines. You can follow him on Twitter at ExcuseProof and at AuthorSecrets, and check out his websites at DerekDepker.com and ebookbestsellersecrets.com. Derek's best-selling books include Why Authors Fail, 17 Mistakes Self-Publishing Authors Make That Sabotage Their Success and How to Fix Them, and Kindle Bestseller Secrets, 10 Tricks Best-Selling Nonfiction Authors Use to Dominate Kindle. In this interview, we're going to talk about Derek's background and career, his advice and observations on self-publishing at a high level, and his approach to writing and publishing himself. So thank you, Derek, for taking the time to be on the Front Matter Podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me here, Lynn. I always like to start these interviews by asking people for their origin story. Um, so I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about where you grew up and why you moved to L.A. and uh, what's happened to you in that in the time there. Sure thing. Yeah, well, I didn't think I'd be an author. That's the first thing. I grew up in Indiana, Evansville, Indiana. And when I was 12 years old, I went to a friend's house and he had started playing guitar. So I go, I kind of want to try that. He showed me a few things and immediately I fell in love. So from the time I was 12 all the way up uh, when it came time to go to college, I knew I wanted to do music. So I got my degree in music and my whole life was figured out. I'm just going to go become a rock star. And I moved out to that's I went to college in Nashville, Tennessee, got a degree in music. And then what brought me out to L.A. was I was in Nashville, Tennessee, and it was cool, you know, great music city, uh, wonderful people there. But I could just feel something inside me. I was like, L.A. is where the rock stars are at. Like it was more my scene uh, being a, a rock guitar player more so than, uh, you know, not being as into country music as I was uh, into rock. So. Moved out to Los Angeles, and when I moved out to L.A., I was broke, sleeping on an air mattress, uh, valet parking cars, and then each month, it'd be like the same routine for the first few months was like looking around my apartment for something to sell so I could afford the rent that month. So I remember one month, it got to the point where I didn't really have much left, and I look over, I see my music keyboard from college where I'd composed a lot of songs on, and I go, I really don't want to get rid of this, but I can't think of what else I can do to pay the rent. So a uh, guy walks out the door with the, the keyboard that I sold on Craigslist, got a, you know, 100-something bucks, 200 bucks, was able to pay the rent, and I was also thinking, like, I really need to figure out a way that I can support myself. You know, the the jobs I had weren't cutting it. And I had fallen in love at this point with this idea of entrepreneurship and hearing people like Brendan Burchard talk about like, oh, you can have a message and that you monetize and, and all this sort of stuff. So I was just consuming podcasts and going to seminars, volunteering at seminars that I couldn't pay to attend, but I could volunteer, uh, driving around, listening to podcasts and things like this, you know, to, to educate myself. And most of the things failed, uh, that I was, I was doing, um, started blogging, started a YouTube channel and, uh, like the, there was a big success in the sense that like I made one affiliate sale and I made like 47 bucks, which was like the ultimate feeling of selling my first thing online. But I had spent way more than that, you know, just to run my website. So everything shifted. I got a 
I won something in the mail for posting on a blog by random drawing. They sent me a Kindle e-reader and this was summer of 2012. So at this point, I'd already tried to launch a book, a course, could barely sell it to my own friends and family. So I go, okay, I'm going to take all the stuff I've been writing and put it out as a Kindle book. So I take the material, just kind of repurpose stuff. I launch it and then right out of the gate, this Kindle book sells about uh, three copies in the first month. So, and one copy was to my mom. Uh, did not do well. I uh, then did a second book and that did a little bit better, made about 70 bucks in sales, but I had spent months working on this thing. So I'm like, I'm making probably less than a dollar an hour uh, at this rate. So I was about ready to give up on that pursuit, uh, still going into online business, but just go to the next shiny object. And I attended a seminar in November of 2012 and that's where I learned about the power of influence in relationships. And I feel like those were the final pieces of really understanding these principles. It wasn't about self-publishing or publishing skills. It was just these higher level principles that that was like the final piece that I, I needed. And then within a couple of weeks, I went home, started from um, a brand new book. I launched it. And in less than four weeks, I went from nothing to a number one best-selling book in weight loss and generated almost $6,000 in royalties in 11 days. So at that point, I realized I, I figured this thing out. I cracked the code. And since then, I've published seven books uh, in total, sold over 75,000 copies of the books, and have been helping authors and entrepreneurs ever since then when it comes to book publishing mainly, but also how to build an online presence, whether that's through coaching or courses or things like that. Thanks for sharing all of that. It's such a great story. Um, one thing, one thing I wanted to ask you about was what's the what's the scene or what was the scene like in LA for someone who's like, I'm here, I want to, I want to be a rock star. What do you do? Do you, you know, answer ads in Craigslist for we're looking for a guitar player in the band or something like that? Literally, it was exactly that actually. So I played in a band uh, for about a year, a little over a year when I first uh, moved out. You know, maybe it was a few months after I moved out when I when I found the band. And uh, that was that was a really cool experience because we got to play um, played on the Sunset Strip at like, Roxy and Viper Room and uh, Whiskey Go Go and like a lot of these popular clubs that I knew of just from being a kid and knowing that's where a lot of the hard rock 80s hair metal bands played at and then now I'm playing there. But yeah, it was just it was answering a Craigslist ad and uh, I hit it off with the band and we all got along by mostly agreement, at least by the band members, including me, we didn't want to keep it going. Um, just the direction it was going in. So we split up, but, uh, that's exactly how it went. Yeah. Was it like the dirt? Have you seen that movie? Sorry. I've seen it. Yeah. Um, we weren't, uh, at least I wasn't quite, uh, quite as crazy as Motley Crue. Um, I'm, I was, I'm a health nut. So I was like, not into, uh, quite all the shenanigans, but, um, yeah, I definitely, love that that rock star you know feeling being on stage and i feel like it also translates into the uh now more virtual world uh but prior to uh things getting shut down though the world of being on stages and speaking and being in front of an audience is a similar sort of feeling yeah you, you mentioned you're into health and fitness and that's uh that's another really interesting sort of thread thread in your in your tale I was listening to a podcast where you spoke a little bit about about how you got into that, and I was wondering if you if you wouldn't mind sharing the story of of how you because you because you weren't always a health nut. No, so through high school, I was I ate fast food virtually every single night, 
and it was McDonald's. I remember uh, McDonald's always super sized, going through the the giant things at Dr Pepper and Mountain Dew, and uh, it shifted when I was about seventeen years old. I read a book. Uh, so it's the power of books. It was about anti aging, and so it's called the Wrinkle Cure. I learned all about what happens when you eat trans fats, for instance, what happens in your cells, you know, too much sugar, this is what it does. And before that, like, I wasn't overweight, I was, uh, you know, probably unhealthy and did terrible in gym class and had, you know, skin breaking out. But I didn't think of myself as like, there's this disconnect between like, people talk about eating healthier. Oh, man, dude, your diet's so unhealthy. I'm like, well, what is it? Like, what is that? It's not, it's not that I didn't, get what unhealthy meant like in a literal sense but it just didn't have any personal impact on me i'm like well i'm doing okay you know maybe if i'm 70 years old trying to avoid a heart attack then i'll change my diet well this book opened my eyes and i go oh wait a second this is actually affecting me right now i could be doing uh you know i keep this up this could be doing permanent damage to my body this is explaining why my skin is probably constantly breaking out and i feel tired all the time and and this and that and that's when I also just had this this moment where it's like I I remember I'm imagining maybe it's 10 years into the future. I just had this vision of my my ideal self, like who do I want to be in this world? And I just couldn't imagine myself being someone who was unhealthy and, you know, by choice. Right. You know, obviously some people can't can't choose that, but just choosing to engage in like a terrible diet, not taking care of myself. I wanted to be this person I saw in my mind that was fit and like just this ideal version of someone who was who was in great shape, who was on top of things, who valued myself. And I made a choice like that's that's who I'm going to be. And it was crazy because now I teach, you know, changing habits and, uh, you know, sometimes it can be a, a pretty serious process to change habits and let go of, of old behaviors. Even for myself, it can be uh, challenging to do that for that, though. At that point in time, it was a very clear decision. And it's like my whole life, just almost in an instant, I was just like, now I'm now I'm a health guy. And like refusing to eat any like sort of junk food, only eating health food. I just the pendulum totally swung the other direction. And since I've eased off on that, but that's what it was like back then, uh, about 17. And then I was just hardcore into health and fitness. And when you decided you wanted to start working out, what did you what did what resources did you go to, if you recall? Yeah, I remember I was searching on a lot of like on bodybuilding.com. Then later I found T Nation, which is Testosterone Nation, which has some great articles and stuff. And I was going through all these articles, but I I experienced something that you'll experience if studying anything uh, from fitness to entrepreneurship to book publishing. Like there is so much conflicting advice out there. I'd read about, you want to do like low reps and heavy weight to build muscle. No, you want to do like medium weight. No, you want to do higher reps to volume. And you, you know, you should work out a muscle once a week. No, you should do at least three times. Away. And it's like all these people are saying all this different stuff. And I, uh, I remember I just, I, I was 
obsess. Oh, I got to find the right answer. I got to find what the best thing is. And so it's just this never ending uh, thing. And so finally, the one good thing I did is I just started doing whatever I could. So I had like my sister had some workout DVDs like Tybo or whatever, like these like ran a little workout. So I would just pop in whatever DVDs I could find around the house just so I'd be doing something. And then I invested in a program that's not around anymore. But it was a guy who was like a skinny guy who put on a lot of, uh, of mass. And I remember seeing the before picture and I go, oh, that kind of looks like I was 118 pounds at the time. So uh, his before picture kind of looked like my body. He had a little bit more muscle maybe. And then his after was like uh, like just, you know, look like this fitness model look. And I go, oh, like that's possible to go from that before to that after. Well, I looked like that before, so I want to look like that after. So the visual impact of that. And then I remember the, the promise was like I show you exactly – how many calories to eat for your for your body the exact proteins fats carbohydrates the the exact workout you know what if you follow these other programs that are meant for people with a different body type it might not work for you so this is designed for people who are skinnier and and all this sort of stuff and i go okay that's it uh this is what i want talk my mom into getting it for me and um and i i dove into it and i followed that thing to a t and probably within about uh, five or six months, I did put on about 30 pounds, uh, of lean and, and I was still had a six pack, uh, by the end of it. So uh, that was my, that was my start. And, uh, probably the first, now that I think about it, information product that I consumed and, uh, you know, years later would be producing them myself. This might seem like a bit of a strange question, but, um, one thing I've experienced generally with attempts that people make at, uh, making positive changes in their lives is that often the biggest pushback they get is from the people around them uh, who might feel in, in, take it personally. So mm-hmm. if, if all of your friends keep eating McDonald's and you're like, no, man, I'm not eating there anymore, you know, that can actually be one of the hardest things to navigate. Uh, did, you, did you get any pushback from people around you when you made, when you made that particular change in your life? Um, not as much as I, as I could have, and certainly not as much as I hear some other people get. So my experience was I was probably so into the, uh, unhealthy thing that I was getting pushed back from friends for like, dude, your diet's terrible. Like, and these are, <laughs> but these are my friends that are eating, we're eating Taco Bell and like whatever, like they weren't like beacons of, of health and fitness themselves, but I was like <laughs> the worst of the bunch. So in a certain way, I was probably getting a little pushback from my other habits, then I started, you know, going to school uh, and I stopped eating the school lunch and I'd, I'd sit at the table and pull out like my raw broccoli and chicken breast sandwiches and, and stuff that I, I brought. And I, I think I might have gotten, um, you know, just kind of like some friendly teasing or whatever from from my friends. But I think I actually they respected it. And what I noticed is even if someone was kind of like. I don't know if they say making fun of it or whatever. It seems like six months later, they'd be the ones coming for advice and be like, Oh, so what did you do? Right. And I've seen that happen for some people, like certain people, especially that they're close to you, they might challenge you and be like, Oh, what are you doing? That's ridiculous. But secretly they wish they could do it. And then when they see your perseverance, it's not a guarantee. Some of them are still not going to like it because it's bringing up their own stuff, but it's, it can plant a seed. And when you're the role model, it's funny how many people who were at once 
teasing someone about it actually go, Hey, so wait, how, how did you do that? They're like, wow, I'd kind of like to do that for myself. Not everyone has the willingness to open up and admit that, but that's a lot of times what can be happening inside of people. And a lot of the benefits, particularly, I mean, there's like all kinds of skills in life. The benefits are long term and they kind of build on themselves over time. But when you're you're sort of at the bottom of the mountain, it can be really the top can look really far away. Uh, what do you uh, advise people to do when they when they decide to make a shift like this and try to keep them focused on the long term? Hmm. Well, there's the cliche um, cliche and the, the saying about how do you eat? How do you eat an elephant? And that's one bite at a time. So if you're looking at the the bigger picture is inspiring and that you can see what's ultimately possible. If you're thinking about the peak of the mountain and the um, the ultimate goal that you want to achieve, whether that's a body transformation or a business transformation or going from uh, nothing to a finished book or, or something, you know, these, these big projects that people take on. But uh, I know for myself, at least my personality I tend to look at the big picture and then with the inspiration comes overload and overwhelm feeling like there's so much, it's so far away. And if you were to tell me all the things I would have to like, let's just say building a business. If you were to tell me all the things I'd have to learn and all the skills that I developed and, and what it really took, I probably would have quit from day one and been like, screw that. <laughs> I'm not going to do all that. But by going at it, and then, you know, shifting from the big picture to, okay, what's, what's my next step? What's, what do I need to do today? What's this hour? What's my project for this week or this month and breaking it down on a, a project by project level on a day by day level. Um, you know, it, it's that, you know, people in recovery who I, you know, I haven't been through that, but I've heard the stories of like, you know, it's one day at a time, you know, if they're drug or alcohol recovery, like it's just, it's, you just focus on today, getting through today. And so I go, I thought I've heard that and I go, oh, that's, that's really a good mindset for just about anything. If a person's feeling overwhelmed, it's probably, I mean, it's common sense advice if you think about it. And yet the, the trick isn't, that it's some big revelation. It's actually, how do you remember that? How do you actually, you know, proactively keep bringing yourself back to this moment and going, okay, what do I need to do today? Or what's my short term, uh, project. And so, I mean, there's, there's probably more strategy involved in that. Um, but I say having wins, like a, a feeling of accomplishment more short term because, it's just human psychology and this is part of habit development. What I've learned, if the, if the gratification is three months away, it's, you're not going to turn it into a habit. Like if someone wants to get in shape for a wedding and it's three to six months away, yeah, that's a big reward. But if they don't feel good today about the fact that they did a workout when they didn't feel like doing it or they ate a healthy meal, it's like each, it's those day-to-day -day tasks that you want to feel that sense of accomplishment and reward yourself. doesn't mean you have to do an external reward, just even an internal sense of like, yes, nice work. All right. I'm proud of myself. That's the kind of thing that keeps you going. And then you're not thinking, you're not waiting and constantly longing for the future outcome. You're enjoying the process each day, each moment as you're going through it. 
Uh, and you, speaking of sort of short term, um, uh, you've got a very short term tactic that I that I was I I learned about watching a, an interview that you did when I was preparing for this interview. Um, uh, I think it's the three magic words. Can I just? Mm-hmm. And I like that one. That one really struck me. I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about that because I, it's it's sort of without having the words or the concept in my head, I'd sort of experienced something similar in my life where it's like getting a little just just take a little dive off the you know, not the deep end, the short end, and just like get a little bit done. And the sense of pleasure you can get from accomplishments, you might even throw away, uh, mm. can, can be really good at driving, driving you to complete bigger things. Yeah, that's exactly it. And it's, it's based on this idea that momentum generates motivation. So once you get into action, that's when you tend to feel the momentum. So I'll go to, I'll go to fitness again, then I can give a productivity and a, a, another example. Like, so I feel like a lot of people have had this experience, even if they're not like fitness enthusiasts, uh, especially if they're not fitness enthusiasts, like I don't feel like exercising, but if you've ever started to exercise and five minutes into it, you go, I'm really glad I'm exercising or like, I want to keep this going now. Right. That's the idea. Like once you start doing it, then you'll want to do it or you'll want to keep doing it at least more so than before. The hardest time to or the the time where you're probably least likely to want to exercise or move is if I'm if I've been sitting there for three hours binge watching Netflix and the next episode is about to come on and I don't even have to push a button and it's going to go right into it like I have all that inertia it's going to be really hard to like break that and get up and go okay oh now I'm going to go to a 30 minute workout it's hard to do that but if I go can I just you know what I you know I can keep watching Netflix but can I just hit pause get up and do you know a set of jumping jacks then I can go back to it if I want well if I get up and I start doing 10 jumping jacks and I play this little game with myself I go, okay well can I just do a set of push-ups I can I mean I can quit after that but can I just do one set of push-ups can I just do one push-up Stephen Geist talks about this in his book uh, many habits it, it was like he did one push-up then it led to a, a set of push-ups then it led to the next exercise then he did a whole workout without ever psyching himself out about having to do a whole workout well that's what I've I've found and so can I just, the idea is you ask yourself this question, can I just, and then you follow it up with a, a micro commitment, a really small commitment, which could just be the one jumping jack, the one push up or the one set. And then if you ask it again, after you're done, it's a lot easier to go, well, yeah, I mean, I can do a few more. Well, yeah, I mean, I can do another set. And then by the time you're a few sets into it, you're like, well, you know what? I might as well just finish out a, a workout and then I'll get back to whatever else I was I was doing. And for me, it's like cleaning my apartment. If I tell myself, do I want to stop and clean my apartment? Uh, do I want to clean my entire apartment? Most of the time, I'm, I'm no. But if I go, can I just clean off uh, my desk over here to the side? I look and I go, you know, it'll take me 30 seconds, you know, a minute or two. You do it. And what happens is you get a dopamine hit. You, you start to You start to see it being cleaned up you start to feel a sense of accomplishment and and you're kind of you're already in the cleaning process and then it's like now it's almost harder to go back to what you were doing before because you want to stay in momentum and it's easier to go well can i clean off my other desk can i clean off this this table uh can i do whatever and the idea is you do want to give yourself permission to stop so you can quit you're not forcing yourself can I just do a little bit, a little bit more, a little bit more? And this is how you can start to build on a day-to-day basis, you know, like getting stuff done, but also building over time this momentum where let's take meditation. 
you want to create a meditation habit, okay, my minimum for the day might just be 30 seconds of meditation. Okay, but 30 seconds can very easily turn into a minute, which can turn into five minutes, which can turn into 10 minutes. But if I tell myself I have to do 10 minutes or 20 minutes of meditation every day, I might talk myself out of that. But I can't easily talk myself out of 30 seconds. It's almost embarrassing for me to say I can't do 30 seconds. So you kind of get your ego working with you at this point because you, you make it so small and so tiny that you, uh, that you got to do it. And then in business, you know, can I just send one email? Can I just reach out to one person? Can I just write one sentence of this book that I'm working on? Uh, can I just write one paragraph and then I can quit? And one other little distinction about can I just – Tim Ferriss talks about two crappy pages a day was his goal. So there's can I just in terms of quantity, meaning a micro quantity, a small amount, a small amount of time, a small amount of effort. And then there's also micro in terms of quality where you remove the quality standard. And this might seem very counterintuitive for anyone who's if you're a high achiever, it's like, why would I want to lower the bar and do lower quality? Well, here's the thing. You take the pressure off and then all of a sudden from there you go, those two, I, it's much easier for me to take two crappy pages and then improve it and improve it and improve it and get something pretty, pretty good versus if I put myself the pressure on like, okay, I got to think what's going to be like a masterpiece. What's just going to be the most amazing writing I've ever, I've ever done. I'll freak myself out. I'll put so much pressure, then nothing gets done. And I just keep thinking about it and thinking about it and thinking about it. So by actually lowering the bar, it gets you warmed up. And just like if you're a pole vaulter, you don't set at your highest level when you know, first wake up in the day. You actually lower it down. You get yourself warmed up. You get yourself into momentum. And then you gradually raise your standard up from there. And then that's when you can actually produce some of your best work. Yeah, that's that's really interesting that you say that that's one of my biggest uh... – I mean, I have many flaws, but I identified that as one of my biggest ones is that, and it's not like, it's not that I'm a perfectionist. It's that I beat myself up. If I don't get something exactly right, the very first time I try mm -hmm. it. And I don't know if that comes from like getting graded in school where it's like that grade's just going to be your grade forever on that test. Um, you know, and so it, like, you really do have to kind of get it right right now or anything like that. But yeah, the, uh, sort of letting, letting go and, and learning in particular about the truly long term. Um, I was talking to a friend of mine the other day about how, like, in my work before I injured my hand recently, I got up to 200 push-ups in my workout, and he's like, you know, oh my god, you know, how did you do that? And it's like, well, imagine you started right now uh, doing 10 push-ups a day, and then every year you added 10. In 20 years, you'd be doing 200 push-ups. But that that keeping that kind of that kind of long term is really hard to grasp for most of us. But if you can get that attitude towards things like you're not going to, you will be, think about how good you'll be in 20 years at guitar or, or at fitness or at writing or something like that. And if you can keep that long term in mind, uh, that can really make a very big difference. Um, so uh, I've got, I think we'll go, we'll talk a little bit more about, about your writing and the things you write about and particularly uh, being a self-published author. But um, before we do that, so far, we've been talking like it's normal times. Um, and uh, just for anyone listening, uh, no matter whether it's 20 years from now that you're listening to this, we're recording this on March 24th, 2020, uh, when the world is in the midst of uh, the coronavirus. Um, and we have no idea what things are going to be like uh, when this comes out or in the future. Uh, but I, I know you, you, you posted a video online talking to your, your, your audience about about what to do now and how to think about it. Uh, and I'll link to that in the transcription for this interview. But I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about what things are like in LA right now and how you've been adjusting to being shut in. 
Yeah. So on a a personal level, it hasn't had, it hasn't been a big shift for me being someone who works from home already. Um, so I'm, I'm very fortunate in that regard that I, my life and also just my personality being an introvert, uh, (laughs) when I was 12, 13 years old, uh, my dream was to just sit in my room and shut the whole world out and, and play guitar. So, uh, I have, um, you know, I do feel for those who, who are affected by this. I can't pretend to know what it's like, uh, though it's been, it's been so long since I've been out working in the service business. Uh, I can relate to the idea though of, I don't know how am I going to get my next paycheck. Um, and for people going through that, that's, uh, I can, I can only imagine how tough that is. So I'm looking at this and I'm, I'm going, my biggest shift for me is, is really just asking the question, how can I support those who, who are, are going through this? They're uncertain about the future. You know, what have I learned, um, mostly from other mentors who have taught me and, and prepared me, what can I, what can I pass on? What I, what can I learn uh, through this? One thing, which is maybe not on the surface, the most comforting thing to consider. But I also think it's important to recognize is that, certainty is a human need. So I want to feel a a degree of certainty at the same time. There's a degree of, uh, it's always been an illusion. This idea that everything, like if someone's had a job and they think that there's such a thing as a steady job, I don't really want to go out there and be like, you could lose your job at any point and like fear monger or anything. But I think people are realizing, um, this is what I I said, being a millennial who graduate graduated in a, a very bad job market, I very early on realized I'm not going to depend on a job. If I get a job, I could lose it at any, any time. So that mindset was instilled in me and it's waking people up to this idea that the world can change. It could be a virus, but it could also be technological innovation as disrupting things. So this idea that things are going to get disrupted, things are becoming less and less certain. We're in more rapid change goes back to this uh, quote from Charles Darwin, who paraphrasing, it's not the strongest of the species that survives nor the most intelligent. It's the most adaptable. And so it's, it's a, it's a good wake up call for myself and, and for everyone. I say wake up call, not like, you know, how dare you not know this? It's just like, we all can benefit from recognizing that we got to be adaptable with like, how, how do we shift? How do we adapt? So for me, like I said, my adaptation is from a place of leadership and service and going, okay, at least for the time being, um, who, you know, how can I help people? How can I shift the way that I help people? How can I shift, uh, what I recommend to people and be able to adapt in that way? And then how can I help them adapt? Uh, working with many authors, they still work from home. So it hasn't been a huge change. Um, working a little bit with some gym owners and things like that, that's clearly, uh, going to be a shift for them. And, you know, that's from a practical business standpoint, that's just taking things online. Um, a lot of different ways to do that, but yeah, moving economically to, um, to being online and then also a mindset that, Looking at this, not to minimize the pain that people are going through or the the health impact or anything like that. None of this is meant to minimize that. When I say that there's also an opportunity here and and, and a way to look at this as what's, how could this be happening for me 
as an individual and how can this be happening for us as a society, which is a Tony Robbins uses this idea a lot. And, um, it could be happening for us as a society in multiple ways. First of all, if things get even worse in a year or a couple of years, and I hope it doesn't, but worst case scenario, hopefully we'll use this as a time to recognize, oh, we have some, some issues that we need to correct in case there is something like this that happens. Because uh, as bad as it is, it could be worse. And that means hopefully we'll use this as a time to prepare. And then also on an individual level, if I go, it was I prepared for this to a degree. Uh, but there's also certain areas where I, I could have been more prepared. And I hope that it this could serve as an opportunity for people to go, OK, things are not as certain as they seem. Um, things can rapidly shift. I need to be ready to adapt and maybe have some food in storage and some water in storage and have some backup uh, sources of income, multiple streams of income that I can shift and go, if this, if I lose this stream of income, do I have another stream of income? Uh, practically speaking for me, it's like I could teach guitar. I could do virtual trainings. I could write, I could do write for others. I can do all these things. And that's not being like, Oh, Derek, I have all these skills. I'm saying you probably, if you consider your, your lifetime of experience, you probably have multiple skills. And so uh, I'll start to wrap up on, on this, but I'll say that for my audience and, and for anyone, I just invite you to consider like you probably have some skills that might actually be even more in demand right now. And almost no one is starting from scratch. I think this will be the, the point that I can uh, most empowering when I got into writing books, for instance, I could have looked at this as this is a whole new venture in my life is writing books or I could go, you know what? I have years of experience writing music and is writing a book different. Yeah. But are there principles of writing music that I can apply to writing books? Absolutely. And there's a lot of principle based things that I'm actually able to translate over. And so even if you feel like your life has gone in a whole new direction, you're still carrying all the years of experience and knowledge that you've gained. So the question is, what do you already know that you can bring into this thing that you're doing right now and that you're going to need to uh, to adapt to? Yeah, thank you very much for sharing all that. Um, I want to talk talk a little bit next about the training that you've that you've been doing. Um, I've actually watched a, a webinar that you did on on creating audiobooks recently, and you're doing a lot of great work. So we'll talk a little bit about that. But I just wanted to say, just for anyone listening, um, you know, we, it's important at these times as well to keep your minds on the the, the good good habits that you might be forming now, which is something you touched on. Um, one thing I've noticed: I live in a you know, like many people, and I'll guess like LA, uh, car car culture kind of place. And one thing I've noticed in the last few days is everybody keeping their distance from each other, but way more people out walking. And one thing I've never seen, I've, I've been living in this where I'm living now for about four years, couples walking around holding hands. Hmm. Um, yep. And uh, it's, it's, you know, like it's all happening for very bad reasons. Uh, but I think that a lot of people are going to remember what it's like to hold their partner's hand walking down the street and make dinner for each other every night. Uh, when when we return to some sort of when we emerge from this into whatever happens on the other end, um, so with respect to training and the things that looking at looking you know observing your own life and thinking about what what do I have what skills do I have that I haven't been maybe using and uh, how can I you know find training and resources online what sort of training have you been doing online and who have you been working with? 
Uh, a lot of stuff in terms of can, what training am I consuming or what training am I presenting oh, or actually, both? I, I, meant, I meant presenting, but if you want to talk a little I, bit about both, that would be great. Uh, yeah, so for presenting, I'm – uh, so you mentioned it. So I do audiobook uh, training for so those who've published a book, how to turn your book into an audiobook, which uh, again tying into this idea that if you're if you're quarantined at home, writing, turning your knowledge into a course or an audiobook or a combination of all these things, for many of this this is an opportunity. Maybe they didn't have time before; they're so busy that one of the the potential upsides for some people, um, at least during these times, are. Wait, okay, I get to kind of take a breather now. I get some time to get some of these things done. So, yeah, creating audiobooks as well as just getting a book done, how to take your knowledge and turn it into a book. Those are the main trainings that I've, I've been doing. And then studying from others, uh, just listening to uh, – there's a lot of people out there now who are running trainings on how to go online, which I've, I've known about, but I've, I still like to stay up to date in terms of what they're what they're saying. And more on a, a bigger note, I sent an email about this out. Um, I mean, I like to have a full spectrum. I don't want to just look at the only the bright side nor only the downside. I like to you know have as much objectivity as possible. And so I, I can see that there's uh, people out there, some people who are um, taking advantage of the situation in a in an unethical way. You know, just absolutely price gouging and being extremely rude and throwing, you know, punching each other in grocery stores. And there's some of that going on, of course. Uh, then I've also seen a lot of really good, um, responses to this. Like you mentioned, you know, some people are being brought closer together to their family. And they, I've seen a lot of entrepreneurs who are offering training and coaching and support, um, discount, sometimes free, uh, giving away just a, a lot in order to help each other out. And I saw, I think I just saw something from a lot of like, you know, PayPal and different things are saying like, hey, if you're having financial hardship, we'll work with you, credit card companies, a lot of this different stuff. So I do feel like there's a lot of people who and a lot, a lot of businesses who are being conscious of this time and saying, hey, like, like we're all in this together. Right? Uh, again, another cliche thing, but like literally the whole world just about is in this same type of situation. And. I, that seems pretty unusual. I don't know how many times in history we can really say that it we like it doesn't matter what country you're living in. It's like, are you in quarantine? Yeah, are you in quarantine? Yeah. So it's like that's just it's a universal uh, thing that we're going through. And so um, all that's to say, uh, there's so many directions you can go in that. Yeah. But I'm I'm happy to see that um, there's still a lot of compassion and support for each other through these times. Yeah, thanks very much for that. Um, uh, yeah, I guess this might be a good opportunity to switch into the the next phase of the of the interview interview where we talk a little bit more, go into a little bit of the weeds of what it's like to produce produce content online and, and find an audience and, and sell it and things like that. Um, one thing I can say, and people people who read the self publishing blogs and stuff like that already will know all about the value of free. Uh, but I can say, you know, I mean, for people going through things all at the same time right now, our two best selling books right now have a minimum price of free. Uh, but they're, but the, the, the author has reached thousands of people in the last few days, many of whom are choosing to pay for the book, even though the minimum price is free. Uh, and so that's, I think that's part of the people being all in it together kind of thing that's happening to some extent. So he, he made his books free because he's like, look, like he didn't expect to make a single dime 
off of it. He's like, I just I know at these times people need help, so let's try and help. Uh, and and I was wondering if you could talk a little bit because some of your books have a have a free price on Amazon. And I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about how how you've experienced free over the years. Yeah, well, I can start by saying there's some debate about the idea of uh, free. And so there could be you know different schools of thought about this. So um, from a, I guess uh, to, to lay out some of the, the cases for this, it's like, well, if you give it away for free, does that devalue it uh, in people's minds? Will they not take it as, as seriously? And there's a validity to that. I mean, there's research that shows when people pay for advice, they tend to take it more seriously and, and use it. So I'll actually say um, I can play both sides and say that, yeah, there is a reason I also charge for some things because I know I take it a lot more seriously if I pay a, a bigger um price for it. At the same time, I'm not an either or person. I tend to go, well, there's a place for both, right? And what is the place for free? When is it um, good for free? And when could there be a place for uh, for, for charging? And as a business owner, obviously, any business is going to want to have some sort of revenue source. So for me, the free is a way of um, a couple things. One is I'm able to help virtually anyone without excuse financially speaking at least so if there's someone who's like Derek I can't afford to pay thousands of dollars for high-end coaching or whatever okay well you can get started here like that's how I got started with podcast and uh, library <laughs> has lots of free books right uh, so you, there's ways to do it um, although I will say I didn't really have much success until I invested but it's also practically speaking a way for people to um, get the help that they need. And then for me, the free offers are all about building the know, like, and trust so that people can see, okay, I, there's something here. And then if they want more handholding, especially if they want more of my time, then that's where there's some, uh, some paid things, but with content, with a video, with, um, some books and some things like that, it's, it's very possible to give away uh, for free and then use that to create an audience and have people go, Oh wow, I really like this person. I resonate with what they have to say. We share similar values and philosophy and okay. Uh, I, I find that there's a lot of people who will actually want to then work further if you give them really good value for free and, and will seek it out. And then, of course, I would say, practically speaking, in most cases, your free thing. Uh, if your goal is to build a business, then make sure the free thing connects to ways that they can work with you further. And um, you, so your first best-selling book, I believe, was in, published in 2012. Is that what you is that what you said? Yep. Yeah. And so things have that now that might seem like just eight years, but things at the time, the Kindle had only been around for about four years or so. And uh, so it's actually been a long eight years in the world of self-publishing. What's what would you say would want to be would be one of the biggest changes that you've seen in your experience in that time? I know that's a very broad question. Um, well, maybe because I was just talking about free stuff, uh, I'll say the first thing that comes to mind is I ran a free promotion uh, for that book and got thousands of downloads. And this was using some paid ads, uh, too. And so thousands of downloads. And then once it went on sale, it went on sale, the Kindle edition for four ninety nine. then hundreds of sales started coming in at the end of that free promotion. So the free promotion got it a lot of exposure and then it got paid sales after. One thing I can say is that free promotions can still work. 
today, uh, specifically speaking about an Amazon Kindle um, KDP select free promotion, but it doesn't work quite the way it did back in 2012. So I'm, it's, it's much more of a, there's more factors to consider in terms of whether you want to do a free promotion like that or not. Uh, so that's one thing. Uh, but I will say that a lot of what I learned and a lot of what I teach, 90 plus percent of it is still the same. And the reason being, it's much more about human psychology and buying behavior. And, and then also that adaptation, right? So when you think in terms of principles, this is what I, I, I learned from one of my mentors who I went to the seminar. It was very principle based. So adaptation is a principle. It's vague. You don't really know what do I do with that. But when you understand how to think in principles, then you go, okay, what's going to get a person's attention? What kind of title speaks to their uh, their desires, right? So for instance, before I was really focused on keywords and keywords are important, but I shifted my focus like, okay, yeah, if I can get some keywords in there, great. But like, what's really going to have a person look at the book title and subtitle and go, Ooh, I want, Ooh, that's intriguing. I want that. So I shifted my focus from less from writing for an algorithm and more for writing to a human being. And that to me, um, that was a shift that was important for me. Now I'll give the caveat. There are some, there's a perfectly legitimate strategy of writing keyword based titles and descriptions and doing that. But as we have more opportunity with advertising and things right now, I'm less focused on trying to get it ranked because of keywords and I'm more focused on what is the, what is a person going to read and go, I want that. And human psychology has been the same for thousands of years. So I'm, I'm safe in that territory. And that's why I like learning about and, and teaching principles of copywriting and marketing and psychology and influence and persuasion, because now no matter what happens, no matter what the changes happen in the world, when you understand how human beings work, you're much more able to adapt to that because you got the underlying principles. Yeah, it's interesting. One one of your books that I haven't mentioned yet, Why You're Stuck, uh, which you can get if you go to excuseproof.com slash free offer right now. And I think you can also get it if you go to ebookbestsellers.com as well as an offer. Um, um, not on ebook bestseller, but on that first link that okay. you gave, yes. Excuseproof.com. Yeah, you can get a free copy of this book. It's very good. Uh, it goes into principles very much. But I was as I was reading, reading through it, uh, I was also looking at some of your recent emails and you had one called No Shit, Ca Mr. Captain Obvious, which was <laughs> hilarious. Uh, but basically, uh, the reason I bring it up is often, I imagine this is a challenge that, you know, given the work that you do, that you find is that sometimes people really want to know, like, what's the latest trick to game the Amazon algorithm mm. or the Facebook ads or something like that. Mm. And while those things are important, those can seem like the real knowledge. And but the high level principle can actually sometimes seem to people, especially if they're nervous or watching falling sales or something like that. It can be like, oh, don't don't tell me the obvious stuff. Tell me what I need to get through the sort of next five minutes. Uh, mm. How do you try and handle it when people when people sort of push back that way? Yeah. So, I mean, the first thing that I do, I mean, I can, I can handle this more readily in my books is that 
uh, I guess to preframe it. And but what I mean by that is saying like, look, some of the things you're going to read in here are going to seem obvious and seem like common sense. Uh, you may have heard it before. Well, the issue isn't that you need a new revelation. It's that you need to be reminded of these things that you either aren't doing or that you've forgotten about. And I might make it more personal. Like, look, I teach this stuff and I, most of the time when I'm screwing something up, I go, oh yeah, I forgot. I forgot to do this basic thing. I forgot to focus on the fundamentals, right? So I, I can bring it back to myself and just reminding people um, of that, again, <laughs> reminding it. Like, it's a reminder. Most of the time, success is about reminders. That's why I even came up with Can I Just? Like this idea of momentum generates motivation. Uh, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? Like you can say this to your blue in the face and, and most people in the world would probably nod their head and go, yeah, you know, I've heard that. And yeah, that's true. And I get that. But you look at what they're doing in their day-to-day -day life and what I'm doing in my day-to-day -day life. And that's the thing that it's like, it's not about learning this new thing. It's about, uh, it's like a, a friend said to me one time, you're having a conversation. I don't remember what I said to him. Uh, but he's like, dude, I just want to like pay you to follow me around. And like, whenever I'm like getting upset, just like slap me in the face and remind me of, of, of that, whatever. And it's like, that's kind of what it is. It, a, a lot of times it's, it's just this constant reinforcement of these, these fundamentals and of these, these basic principles. So that's, that's part of it. And I also appreciate that when you talk in, in principles, principles are abstract and you need a lot of examples in order to understand how it applies. And that's where I can help someone more in like coaching and consulting. Consulting is like, here's what you do. Here's like the three things you want to do. Okay. Here's the type of offer you want to make. Here's the language. Here's the exact sentence by sentence script that you can use. But I can't give that very easily on a mass scale video or even book because that might be horrible advice for someone else. And that's the key. So the, the just give the, the very brief version of this, something I talk about in, in my book, Breakthrough Your BS, is the importance of context. And the idea being that you can take something that seems totally good, like breathing. Is breathing good? Most people are going to say yes. Okay, well, what if your head's underwater? You know, if you got your head dunked underwater and you try to take a big breath in, that's terrible. It's not like you're going to say inhaling is a bad thing. But in that moment, it's a bad thing to do. OK, so you got to understand what's the situation you're in. So with this is one of the reasons for conflicting advice, health advice. Yeah, maybe that food's good for one person, but terrible for another person. Maybe that food's good if you're adapted to a certain type of diet, but not at another time. Maybe it's good if you're in one season of the year, but not another one location on the planet, but not another or one uh, genetic type, but not another like uh, maybe it's good by itself, but you combine it with other things that like. So there's so much nuance to this that it's the challenge for anyone who is a, a teacher, a mentor, of uh, coach of some, some type is that when you give specific advice, the more specific it is, the more immediately helpful it could be for one person, but the more it runs the risk of someone else hearing that, applying it to their situation and it totally backfiring. Uh, and it could just be a timing thing. Or it could be, well, you know what, that doesn't work with their personality or you know, all of these different factors. Um, so that's the challenge. Uh, the way around it is teaching in principles. But then you do that and people go, well, that's common sense. And so you got to remind people that um, uh, there's just ways to frame it for people and be like, yeah, I know it might seem like common sense. Uh, but <laughs> what's funny is.
to give a little more context uh, for, for what you brought up about the the no shit, Mr. Captain Obvious, that was the response I got when posting um, in a Facebook group about why a, a book might not have been selling and I actually checked out her book. I didn't mention this, but I actually found her book on Amazon. At least I'm, I'm 99% positive it's her had the same name. And uh, it was a very fundamental thing, a couple fundamental things. And, you know, I guess she knew it if she was saying I know that in, in some way. But it's like, man, you've been doing this for five years. Like, this is an easy fix, what you could do. And I, I'm i going to keep my mouth shut because she doesn't want the feedback, apparently. But it's one of those things like, you know, if you're open to coaching, if you wanted the feedback, I could tell you in five minutes, you know, the things to fix and how to fix it and how to do it for free or affordably. Um, but it would be it'd be basic. It'd be like it'd be a fundamental thing. Uh, so that's that's where I go on a certain level. Also, the other part is who do I attract? And I want to attract the people who get this, who go, I don't need the shiny objects necessarily. That's cool too. That's human nature. Uh, just tell me what's going to work. Just tell me what gets the results. And the more I can attract those people, the more I can just focus on, on saying what needs to be said. Yeah. Speaking of attracting people, that leads me to my next question. Um, one of the things that people who get into self-publishing uh, discover that they face is a decision about whether or not to distribute their products, whether it's books or courses or what have you, in one place or in many different places. In, in the self-publishing, in the book self-publishing world, they call that going wide. You might mm -hmm. also hear people talk about, you know, putting your eggs in one basket or in many baskets. What's your, what are your thoughts on this? Uh, hmm. Yeah, so uh, to, to go off of what I was just saying, I, you know, it's going to depend, you know, so my answer, uh, so is breathing a good thing? Well, it depends. Uh, is going wide uh, or not a good thing? Well, it depends. Depends on uh, what your goal is. So for the, most of the time, I've been exclusive to Amazon for my eBooks. For my audiobooks, I wanted to go wide because I wanted to do more uh, with the audiobooks. But I also see a benefit to in before I get in that the reason why I focused on Amazon was because I'm like I just want to think about one channel one platform like let me get that down first I can always go wide later and so that was my approach <clears throat> now I'm I'm going okay I've done the Amazon thing I don't really need Amazon uh, to be exclusive to Amazon at this point. I, I, there's other services that make it easy to get wider distribution. There's other advertising platforms uh, that are now available um, like BookBub let, lets you advertise on a, a lot of different platforms. So I go, okay, I, I see now how I could uh, fairly easily expand out. And so now I'm starting to expand out to, uh, to wider distribution. Whether that's going to be more profitable or not, I don't know. But my results wouldn't matter anyway because you can talk to different authors and you'll hear different experiences. And so it's it's the kind of thing that you got to decide for yourself also based on on your goals. If I were to give a, um, a real simple potential experiment, it could be you could start exclusive uh, with a platform and that's mainly going to be Amazon. And then you can decide if you want to go out um, broader. Uh, that's one option, like what I did, because uh, you're only in a 90 day contract. Or if you know you want to sell it on your own, uh, your ebook, then that immediately tells you that you want to have that that ability to be wide right away. Um, so those are the kind of things that you'd have to. Um, well, let me let me make this point. Before going into strategy, start with what's my ultimate higher purpose? What's the vision? What do I want to create? Because that's going to inform the more 
nitty gritty. Do I go wide? Do I go narrow? It's like, I couldn't answer that for someone or even myself until I go, wait a second. Well, what are you trying to accomplish here? What's your purpose behind this? What's your vision? And that's how you, how you chunk down. I call it the power method where you start with the purpose of behind it all, your intention, what's the outcome you want to achieve. And then the W is what's the way you're going to get there. So that's a W question. How am I going to get there? Uh, but you got to know your purpose and your outcome first. And then to close the loop, E is for environment that you need to create and R is for recalibration, which is how you adjust and get feedback as you go along. Yeah, it's, it's a really interesting and it's sort of very deep topic. You touched on a lot of the really important points there. One of one, one, another one is, um, for example, I had a friend of a friend who was making six figures, uh, selling werewolf erotica on, on, <laughs> on Amazon. Um, and one day, blam, Amazon turned them off. Probably some automated thing determined they violated the terms of service or something like that. And the only way they could, they, they lost their whole business and they had to, adopt a new pseudonym and get new bank accounts and stuff like that in order to get back on back on Amazon and the the interesting dilemma there was yes I'm on one channel and I could just get cut off at any time but I would not have been making six figures selling werewolf erotica if it weren't, if it weren't for that channel um, and so these these kinds of things and, and a lot of them you can only learn through experience and I think that's another really important thing about you know when, when people like you who are out there giving people advice you know uh, it's really important to take advantage of the advice that's out there. Put put the advice itself in context as well. Use your judgment and things like that. But there are a lot of things that you have to go through to learn and other people have gone through them. Uh, apply your own judgment when you come across that advice. But it is it is actually really important to keep in mind what, what great resources there are out there. Um, one thing you mentioned was audiobooks. Uh, you've been doing audiobooks for a few years now. And I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about that. Is that something that authors should do? if they have the appropriate type of book for an audiobook. Yeah, if they have the appropriate type of book, I would say for the vast majority of authors, I recommend audiobooks. Uh, the market's growing. There's a lot of people who will only consume audiobooks. There are a lot of people who will consume audio and the ebook, uh, especially with Amazon WhisperSync. Um, so you could be missing out on a whole market if you don't have, have your book on audio. Again, assuming, like you said, it's, it's the appropriate type of book, the, the type of book that there's audio for. What would not be an appropriate book? Cookbooks, picture books, technical manuals, things like that. Most other books, though, fiction and nonfiction lend themselves um, to audio. So, yeah, I mean, whether you, you hire someone or you do it yourself, which is what I teach, both of those options can work. Just depends, again, on, on your circumstances. What do you want to do? What's your goals? What's your what's um, your vision behind everything? And um, I've I've noticed without doing much extra marketing and promotion, uh, a nice chunk of sales come from audiobooks that I would have not made. I know it's over 14,000 sales the last few years of, of audiobooks, and that's not doing a ton of, of promotion. Now, I'm not saying anyone else is going to get those results. Some people do a lot more than that. Um, some people might be in an obscure genre, not make any audiobook sales. So it's not a suggestion of results, just my personal experience. Uh, and so I'm like, oh, I didn't really, I just kind of uploaded them and they just kind of sell. Um, without adding in a whole additional effort to promote the audiobooks. Do I promote my books in general? Sure. Send people to my Amazon page. If they click the audiobook, they can buy it. If they click the ebook, they can buy it. Um, but the point being, I don't, I don't do a whole lot of audiobook specific marketing. I'd probably get more sales if I did. Uh, for me, it's nice to see this coming in somewhat organically. 
so yeah, the audiobook market is booming, uh, and I think it's it's certainly going to be here for a little while, I believe, and um, possibly eventually taking over um, some uh, some more of the print book sales. It looks like people are leaning more towards ebook and audio now than print. Uh, we've been talking for about an hour, uh, so it might be time to wrap things up pretty quick. But before we go, and to reward people who've who've listened to the whole episode, um, maybe I'll ask you a couple of cheesy questions. So what's the biggest mistake you see authors make? Uh, my totally biased opinion as a coach is that they don't get a coach or some sort of mentorship, um, whether that's paid or whether that's just getting some, some really good quality feedback from people. They're you just aren't going to know what you don't know. Like when I taught guitar lessons, when I, I got a guitar teacher, cause I think I recognized this too, growing up, uh, a student comes in and her, she'd been practicing for, you know, several months, but her form's all wrong. Well, she was just spending six months making herself a worse guitar player. Uh, there's a quote, like a paraphrasing, like doesn't matter how hard you're rowing your boat. If you're rowing in the wrong direction, well, you can be working really hard at doing the wrong thing and creating bad habits or making things harder on yourself. So a coach uh, who's good, who knows what they're talking about, a consultant can help give you that or at least get some sort of outside feedback from someone who knows what they're talking about. Flip side is you get advice from people who don't know what they're talking about and that'll again take a person in the wrong direction. Uh, the idea is we need outside feedback, we need corrective feedback and uh, making sure that it is from a source that is accurate and the feedback that they're giving. Thanks very much for sharing that. I think that's great advice. Uh, it just reminds me of, um, you know, I've, I've done a little bit of martial arts training uh, in my, in my day. And um, the thing about martial arts training is that you cannot learn a martial art from books. Uh, you need to talk to someone and you need to have training with them. And anyone can put up a shingle saying they're a martial arts expert. Uh, there's nothing stopping them. And they might even have, you know, an accreditation from some association and a certificate on the wall. But in all these circumstances, yes, it's very good to find an expert, even find a mentor if you can, uh, but always keep using your judgment and, and never, never, never stop uh, thinking critically about what you're encountering. Uh, yeah, that's, that's really great advice. Okay. Well, uh, thank you very much, Derek, for taking the time to do this. Uh, I hope you stay home and stay safe and everything. Uh, and uh, yeah, thank you very much for being on the podcast. Yeah, I appreciate it, Lynn. Thanks for having me. Thanks a lot. And as always, thanks to all of you for listening to this episode of the Lean Pub Front Matter podcast. If you'd like what you heard, please rate and review it wherever you found it. And if you'd like to be a Lean Pub author yourself, please check out our website at leanpub.com. Thanks.